talking about your feelings, experiences, and pain following the death of a loved one. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. How are you this week? Did you think about what I said regarding the myths surrounding the grieving process? There's quite a few of them, and they're quite interesting, at least to me. I didn't know many of those before I started to go through the grieving process. And with each different type of death, I could definitely see a difference. How I grieved for a friend that was lost early in my life versus how I grieved when my stepdaughter was murdered at the age of 11 to what the circumstances were surrounding each different type of death and also how people reacted to each of those deaths. It was quite interesting. So maybe you've encountered a number of deaths in your life at this point. Maybe you haven't. Maybe this is the very first one for you. And if it's the first for you, this can seem very, very overwhelming. But if this is maybe the third or fourth or tenth significant loss in your life, it doesn't get any easier. As we said, every single death is different. The relationship you had with them, the way that they died, where they died, how old they were. It's an amazing process to go through, isn't it? So I'm taking the time today to talk about the stages of grief and what that's all about. But before I do, I just wanted to ask you, did you keep up with your journal? Are you writing the five wonderful things that are happening to you each day, the things that you're grateful for. So each day, do remember to do that before you go to sleep. It's important to change your state, to make you look at the positive instead of the negative, to focus on what's good, not what's not right for you right now. And I want that for you. And have you looked into the six different categories we spoke about? Emotional, social, spiritual, intellectual, financial. 
Which one did I forget? Physical. Yes, move our bodies. (laughs) So today I'd like to look into the stages of grief with you. The stages or the phases of the grieving process were first introduced by Dr. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who you may have heard about. She was very active in the hospice community over in Britain, and she helped bring it to the United States. But the stages of grief that she discusses were specifically for those who were going to die. They were the stages of grief of a dying person. And as a result, for those of us who are surviving a loved one's death, these phases are often misunderstood because many who learn about them think that they must go through each of these original five stages in a certain way or in a certain pattern or exactly in that order. And I want you to know that this is completely unrealistic for a number of reasons. One, because each death loss is different. Also, because you can experience some, but not all of these stages. You can find your experiences overlap between phases. You will not necessarily be on a continual upswing. You may spend more time in one phase than in another. And you may revisit some of these phases after you think you've already worked through them. And also, should you feel yourself moving backwards, you don't have to start the process all over again from the beginning. So now I'd like to look at these different phases adjusted for the bereaved person's experience. The first one is shock. Now, the dictionary defines shock as a violent collision or impact, a violent, unexpected disturbance of mental or emotional balance. And boy, isn't that the truth? You can feel numbness, confusion, overwhelm. One of the most common remarks by bereaved individuals is that it's like an outer body experience when people are greeting them at the funeral. You're watching this entire scene take place, but you don't feel like you're a part of it. That fog floats with you and around you for quite a while. Don't be afraid of it. It's a protective barrier. Shock is our built-in mechanism to shield us from the overwhelming emotional impact on our mind and body. Sometimes individuals can experience the entire funeral without crying or often claim not to feel anything. If this is you, it's okay. Your emotions will come out later. Now the shock you feel is coating you with calmness and a strength you need to get through this time. When a person has been ill for some time, survivors may actually feel more relief than sadness, and that's okay too. You might move a little further in your grieving process earlier than most because you feel you've done most of it when the person was sick. 
Remember, you may not experience all the phases that we'll speak about today, so don't feel something is wrong with you. Although dealing with their death is of primary concern for all of us, it is the adjustment to the loss of their presence and the interaction and relationship we had with them and expected to have with them in the future, which is truly what we are grieving. Others of us who have nursed an individual for so long are surprised that it is now that our loved one died. Perhaps the doctors had given them longer to live, or they took an unexpected turn for the worst and you were completely caught off guard. Perhaps you were trying some new drug or an experimental surgery and it just didn't work. You too can be in shock that all your hopes have been short-circuited. During the beginning of your grieving process, you may find yourself at a variety of places. You may feel completely drained, with no energy to do anything, or you may be the strong one, handling all the details and being there for everyone else in the family. Or you might be somewhere in between. But as this protective bubble wears thin, and the shock wears off, The reality that your loved one is dead is hard to bear. Harder to bear than in the beginning of your grief, when you floated through your pain. And I'm sure just saying those words, that your loved one is dead, just that can be really hard to hear. The next phase is the denial of their death. When we're still in shock, it is common to be in denial that the death has even occurred. Upon receiving the news that a loved one has died, many will immediately say, that isn't so, that can't be true, tell me this hasn't happened. It is extremely difficult, especially in sudden deaths, to comprehend that a loved one has died. Most of us do not live expecting doom to cast its ugly head each day of our lives. We don't say, well, I wonder who will die today. Rather, we like to believe all our precious family and friends will somehow outlive us. So when unexpected tragic news comes our way, we are naturally not prepared for it. To help our minds better understand what is happening, we deny the news. You may say things like, no, this can't be happening. She's not dead. I know she's not dead. She's just at college. Or you'd say, he's away on vacation. I know he'll be back. We might think, this is just a dream. I know I'm going to wake up and this will have been a complete nightmare. Everything will get back to normal tomorrow. So as the shock and numbness begin to wear off, we find ourselves reliving the death, bargaining with God to return them, yearning for just one more touch because we miss that person so much. Some of the most painful times come when we allow our minds and our hearts to consider that our loved one may not be returning to us. 
And in that process, we go through many things. The first one is disbelief, as we have discussed. This is when we feel the need to relive the experience again and again because we just can't wrap our head around it. You find yourself telling others what is going on, how this occurred in your life, how the person died, and every single detail surrounding the circumstances of their death. The reason you do this is because retelling your story, while it makes it no less painful, does make it more real for you. We still can't believe it ourselves. And then we also bargain. Bargaining is a difficult process because it usually includes regret. We bargain with God. We say, you know, God, if you will just bring her back to me, I'll go to church for the rest of my life. I'll do anything you want. Please just make me wake up tomorrow and let this be a completely horrible nightmare. We also question. We ask the whys, mostly. Why did this happen? Why am I going through this? Why did this happen to her? Why did she die this way? And there are no satisfactory answers to these questions. But you have to ask them. It's a process which you should not dismiss. You need to continue to ask them until you come to a place where you are more accepting of the fact that your loved one will not return. But understand, you may never have answers to your questions. We go through the if-onlys and improperly blame ourselves for something we had no control over. If only I hadn't let her drive. If only I had bought her a train ticket instead. If only I had been there for her, perhaps this or that wouldn't have happened. Although it is hard now to release any regret or guilt that you might feel as far as your participation or lack thereof in the events of their death, you must release yourself from these feelings over time as they will only keep you stuck here unnecessarily. We also go through yearning. Words cannot express the pain you feel for a chance to hold them, touch them, hug them, talk to them, and tell them how much you love them. There is nothing wrong with talking to their pictures, hugging a stuffed animal to console yourself, embracing their unlaundered clothing, and smelling their scent still on the garments, or even wearing their two sizes bigger than you pajamas to bed. We also go through the anger. This emotion can raise its head many different times during your grief work. Some survivors are angry immediately after the death. How could you take your own life? How could you do this to us? How could you put yourself in a position to be harmed in this way? How could you take those drugs again when we thought that you were recovered? 
How could you start using drugs? We never knew. Others feel anger later on. Maybe a spouse has passed on and you think, I thought I would be all right on my own. We talked about this for so long, but now I'm feeling, why did you leave me? I feel so incompetent to make all these decisions now by myself. I hate living alone. I just hate it. The healthiest anger is anger that is dealt with. And we'll talk about that more in subsequent episodes. But bottling up your anger leads to depression. And we cannot have that. We need you to be healthy in all ways. Next, I want to talk about despair. There is a tremendous void at this point. You have been slowly realizing your loved one is not coming back. That hole in your heart is so difficult to deal with. You miss them so desperately. You feel that part of you has also died. You wander aimlessly trying to find your way. You become disorganized and confused. Nothing seems to matter anymore. You may start to question all aspects of your life and its purpose. What does this all mean anyway? Why am I going through all this? Why can't I just snap out of this? Sadly, many of your friends and family may be waiting for you to just get over it by now and expect for you to be back to normal. But what is normal anyway? Normal to you, now, will probably be completely different than it was before your loved one's death. If you find yourself unable to speak with anyone who will listen to you, seriously listen to you, it may be time to search out someone to validate your pain, your fears, and your tears. So I want you to go to my site, marymac.info, go to the top tab, and there are resources there. Whether you call a hotline, there are always people there to listen to you, a crisis hotline, or you look for the type of group for the type of death that you've endured. So if you've miscarried, or you've experienced the stillbirth death of a baby, there's a group for that. If you've experienced the suicide death of a loved one, there are groups for that. The homicide death of a family member or close friend, there are groups for that. There are groups for bereaved parents, bereaved children, so many different types of deaths. There is even a group called Twinless Twin for those who have experienced the death of their twin. So I encourage you to go to the top of my site and look for help and call and find just the right person who will understand your pain. That is the very, very best help that you can get. So the sorrow that you feel hurts desperately. It may take many months, even several months, maybe even years, for certain kinds of deaths 
like homicide and suicide, to feel more stable emotionally, all the while working and attending to your family. Slowly, you start to think of making plans for your future without the one you love, the one you love so much. These decisions can be hard and scary, but at some point, so necessary. So let's look at renewal. I'm not saying that you're at the point of renewal by any means, but I want you to know that there can be a tendency toward guilt when you begin to feel stronger and venture out to a new life without your loved one. But this is inevitable if we are to grow and move forward. Too many survivors feel unworthy of going on and living their life when their spouse, child, parent, sibling are no longer living and cannot share it with them. Because their loved one died too soon, or first, the survivor, that's you, somehow convinces themselves that their lives are now over as well. But don't let this happen to you. There is a reason you are still here. There is work for you to do. People whose lives you will affect for the better. Changes only you can bring about. So don't fall for this lie that your life is over. That's why I want so much for you to write those six categories in your journal and start to find one positive thing you're going to do in each of them. Exercising a little bit more in the physical category. Learning a new skill in the intellectual category. Making sure you are emotionally healthy by visiting with a new group or a new group of friends. Meditating a little bit more. Maybe going back to church or a prayer group. In the spiritual category. You are entitled to feel happiness again. So no matter what your grieving process may bring, please remember that. There will come a time when you will laugh again, sing again, feel joy again, and not feel guilty. I want you to work toward that over time. I want you to be kind to yourself. So if you've been listening to this podcast for a few weeks now, you know this is our time. So get up, breathe, enjoy the music, dance, or wiggle in your seat. Here we go. Thank you for joining me today. I'm so grateful that you're here. 
Continue to write five things you're grateful for in your journal every night. Make them different each day. You can find them. Just look around you and look inside you. Continue to decide what you're going to do this year. 2020. Isn't that amazing? I look forward to this year with you. I look forward to you being more kind to yourself. Have a wonderful week. I'll speak to you again soon.